Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome back to my third season of Tea with the Queen. I do hope you enjoy the new opening. I'm so excited to be back and share with you a wonderful lineup of guests we've got for you this year. And what better way to kick off 2022 with some practical advice on building your brand? Have you thought much about your brand and how others perceive you? Whether it's your business brand or even your personal brand, do people get a good sense of who you are and what you're about? My first guest this year wants you to raise your brand bar, and she has many tips on how to do that. Beck Hughes is a brand creator and she helps business owners tell their story in a way that makes the market sit up and take note. And I'm sure you'll take note of Beck's words of wisdom on improving your own brand image. Thanks, Beck, for coming on Tea with the Queen. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited. Oh, I'm so glad. We're going to have fun. So tell us, why is good brand important? Oh, that's such a central question to what I do. I always say that marketing gets the people to you, but brand gets the right people to stick around. And that's really what's important to me around branding is that it's what creates that meaningful connection with people. And what a good brand does is it does lots of tangible things. So not only is it about how you can qualify your your lead. So the people that come into your sphere are people who already feel a connection to you, maybe are more ready to buy. It allows you to charge more of a premium for your services potentially. But also it's really important in some of the secondary things like talent attraction. How are you going to get the best people to come and want to work with you? Or how you build your network and referrals. So very often partnerships aren't going to develop if that person doesn't feel comfortable with your brand. You're not going to refer a brand that you don't feel comfortable with. So it has lots and lots of primary, but also secondary impacts on your business performance. Yeah, that makes sense. Should a business ever consider rebranding? And if so, when is a good time? Look, I think for me, this is really about brand life cycle. And very often people see rebranding as a bit of a failure. I didn't do a good job the first time. Why do I need to rebrand? Was there a problem? But actually, very often rebrand is just a natural part of the brand life cycle. So very often when you're starting out, you just need to get going. You need to get the logo. You need to get moving because you're testing the water. And I think that's a really smart move to just see how things go. But very often the people that I work with, my clients are sort of 18 months, two years into their business. They've had time to learn more about their market, learn more about what they want to offer. 
And then they find there is that little bit of misalignment with what they're doing, where their brand sits, maybe how sharp, how professional it is, or what it communicates about them. And it's then a good time to rebrand. So I think the first important thing for me around rebranding is seeing it as an opportunity and a positive. It's not a failure. Yeah. I didn't I didn't ever think it would have a failure, but I also am the person that created their website on a GoDaddy site when I first started 20 minutes on the train. And then just to have a presence, right? And also when you're bootstrapping, I think lots of small business owners, they bootstrap their own business. So you've got to make sure that there's revenue in the bank to afford these things. But it's also also about leveling up, isn't it? Absolutely. Look, branding can be a big investment. And I think it's a really clever thing to do to just test the water initially, do what you have to do. If that does mean that, you know, your hairdresser's mum's cousin who is quite good at painting has a go at your logo, (laughs) which, you know, it happens. They're quite creative. I'll get them to have a look at my logo and then something turns up in Word. You know, but that's okay because sometimes you've got to make a start. But I think what's really important is being in tune enough with your business and your brand to know when it is time to make a change, to step things up, to level up, as you say. Yeah, I love that. What can people do to improve their brand image? For me, brand image really centers around three outward facing things. So three ways that you express your brand. The first one is what everyone really defaults to when they think about brand, which is your visual identity. So how you present your color palette, your fonts, and how that comes together in your assets. So that's the first thing to look at. Visually, am I still working? Is it still feeling polished? Is it still standing out versus my competitive set? Does it still feel comfortable for me? Does it still reflect who I want to communicate with? But some of the other things that you can look at are your verbal identity. So that's a really great way to up-level your brand image. So thinking about how you talk about your brand, the kind of messaging you use, and how you start to create something really unique in the way you talk in your market. So even down to the kinds of words and phrases you use that become very impactful and very ownable for you. And then the third way is what I call your behavior identity. And that's actually how you behave, how you show up, the experience you create as a brand. And that very often gets overlooked. So there's lots of emphasis placed on the upfront. You know, I'm I'm present on Instagram. I'm doing my posting. I'm hopefully responding to DMs. But how does that onboarding process work when a client gets in touch with you? How do you surprise and delight them through the whole process of working with you? And importantly, what happens afterwards when they're maybe no longer a client, but you still maintain that relationship and you still have that level of care in their business as a service business? So I think for me, brand image is really about the opportunity is in not just focusing on the visual, but also the other ways that you express your brand. Yes, I think the three things for me, I didn't think about it in those three particular ways, but I also feel like my brand image matches what I do. From a visual perspective, I mean, I like pink. Everyone knows it. (laughs) Everything's surrounded about pink, how I show up behavior and also the experience that I give my clients so I'm sitting here ticking tick 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 yay I'm sure there's improvements I can make but I'm just saying (laughs) look I think sometimes you would do it and or often you do it intuitively but I think 
giving it some intention and really thinking about it because very often there are great foundations but it's then just how do you build on that and how do you be intentional about it maybe you take it to a certain point in your brand behaviors but you could build on that and you could improve and enhance on it totally totally get that what are some of the mistakes people make with their brand oh so many (laughs) but sometimes they're not that obvious but look I think The big ones are around consistency. And I often talk about this, but consistency is a really interesting thing. And I've had clients in the past sort of ask, oh, can we change things up? I want to maybe throw in a new color or I'm a bit bored with that visual style. And, And they become essentially bored with their brand image. So they want to change things up. But what I always say is, you might see your brand every single day. You're doing posts and you're you're batching posts and that sort of thing. You look at your website. You'd be lucky if your audience look at your brand once a month. So they're not getting bored. They're not getting fatigued by your brand in the way you are. So consistency is really important. So that's an important thing for me is not to start to change things up just because you sort of got a bit fatigued by your brand. The other thing for me is brand neglect. This is a really important one. So when you're not feeling comfortable with your brand, sometimes you can let things go. So you're not really checking in on some of those experiences. Like, is that inquiry form working on the website? Or is that link that I send out in that automated email working? Or am I creating all those good experiences? And am I checking in on those things to make sure that everything's as it should be? Yeah, like what's the quality checking process once you've set it? You can't just sit and forget. Yeah. Yeah. Another one is really about that visual quality. I think particularly as you are progressing in your brand and you get to that point where maybe you are at that 18-month, two-year point and you can start to invest, is really scrutinizing your visual quality. Is it really polished? Do I need at this point to get somebody in who's going to raise the bar for me? You know, Canva can take you so far and actually Canva is a really good tool once you've set the foundations for your brand visual but I think looking at your brand visual and making sure that it really is executed in the best way that it can be and also that it's still standing out that you haven't defaulted to all the industry norms that's a really big mistake is particularly when people are entering an industry they go right coaching for for female business owners There's lots of really soft pastel colors. There's lots of a certain style of imagery, which, you know, me sat at a desk with some nice flowers in the background. There's certain language that comes up very often or thinking about hairdressing. You know, everybody's got a pair of scissors or or a piece of flowing hair in their logo. So people often think that those signposts are their cost of entry to be in that industry. Well, I've got to tick those boxes to make sure everybody knows I'm a hairdresser or that I'm grey, blue, and I'm serious and I'm in a suit in my bio image. I'm an accountant. But actually challenging some of those visual signposts is a good thing. It's one of the ways to create some cut through. Mm. I like that. I mean, I went into business to wear jeans every day. And so if I rock up and I'm all polished and corporate, you know, I'm feeling sick. (laughs) Something wrong, right? Because, (laughs) I mean, today I'm wearing, no one can see, but I'm wearing a T-shirt and some, you know, decent pants. But I'm not, I'm not sitting here in corporate and I, I would never do that. That's just not my brand. Yeah. And look, I think brand 
comfort is a really important thing. I think if you're at a place in your brand where you're doing things because you feel you have to, whether that be recording reels every day because somebody said that reels are a good thing to do or turning up suited and booted or doing a photo shoot where you're doing the big jump off the step, whatever it might be. And I don't criticize those things. If you're really comfortable and that feels on brand for you, do it. But I think if you're doing something in your brand that doesn't feel comfortable, then that's where things can start to become a bit disconnected. Because I think when you feel uncomfortable, chances are your audience will feel uncomfortable too. You're, they'll feel uncomfortable as an observer. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell us, what's brand cultivation? Look, brand cultivation is, it's really the bit that comes after, and I, this isn't intentionally another C, although I do like alliteration, <laughs> but it's the bit that comes after brand creation. Okay. So lots of time is invested in, Hopefully your brand strategy, putting time into thinking about how you're going to be positioned, how you're going to communicate, and then loads of time is invested in the visual, you know, lots of procrastinate branding about how I'm going to look and what colors and should I choose that logo or the other logo. So there's lots of energy in that. And then once that's all done and your brand, you've got your brand guidelines and your hot little hand and you're ready to go, sometimes there can be a big pause. Well, what happens next? You sort of right, I'll start posting on Instagram and hopefully this brand is going to do its thing. But there are some key things in brand cultivation which then get forgotten. So for me, brand cultivation is about doing all of the things that really maximize your brand potential. So it's partly about brand protection. There are elements which are about protecting your brand and then there are elements about nurturing your brand. So when it comes to brand protection, there are two key things. The first thing is about maintenance. And I touched on it when I talked about brand mistakes. But brand maintenance is really about making sure that things are still working, checking in every six months, doing all the things on your website to update your plugins, make sure the forms are working. Just check that everything is, is working and doing what it should do. And it kind of links to brand neglect. And often people start to bury their head in the sand when they start to feel a bit uncomfortable about their brand. I don't love my brand anymore. I kind of just would rather ignore. It's like when the bills come in. If you're worried that the electricity bill is going to be too high, you might just like leave it in the envelope and not read it because you'd rather ignore it because you know that maybe you're going to have to do something if you do look at it. So there's that maintenance element. And then there's also brand ownership. And this is such an important one for me. And it's a huge thing that comes up whenever I start a new brand project. I would say maybe eight or nine times out of 10, there are elements of assets or things like where's my website hosted or where's my email hosted or who's looking after all my assets? Where are my high res logos that brand owners don't have a handle on? So they've lost control of some of those things. So hygiene factors. Basically, yeah. yeah like keeping yeah. everything filed, being the owner of all of your accounts, knowing when your domain name needs to be renewed and being on top of that. So often we can spend weeks just scratching around trying to find access to website hosting. Because again, hairdressers, cousins, dog groomer built the yep, website. Helpful people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> really helpful people. They built the website, but that was three years ago, and then nobody kept a track on where it was built, how do I access it, and now I can't get hold of that person anyway. Yes. So managing your assets is so important. Yeah. You're an advocate about aligned brand growth. So aligning your personal brand with your business. Can you tell me a bit about that? So I've touched on it a little bit. This really comes down to that sense of, do I feel really comfortable in my brand? Do I feel really connected to it? Do I feel really intuitive about it when I'm building new communication assets, when I'm talking about it? Or do I have this sense of brand discomfort? And brand discomfort is a thing that's come up for me over a long time of working, particularly with founders and sort of micro and small business owners. When they come to me and we start a conversation about brand, it really starts very often with, I want to change my website. Or I don't feel quite comfortable with how I talk about my brand. I'm not sure about my messaging. But it always seems to ladder back to this sense of discomfort. And really where that discomfort comes from is there's misalignment. There's a like disturbance in the force, essentially. Yeah, disturbance in the force. I I'm not it. a Star Wars fan, but I do quite like that one. <laughs> <laughs> and that misalignment really often comes from, there are three key things. There's you as the owner of the brand and what you want and what you need from your brand, what feels good for you. And that can evolve over time. So the services that you offered two years ago can change. Then there's your audience and what they want from you, what they're looking for from you. And then, of course, there's your brand and how you express yourself in the marketplace. And when those things don't fit together, when you're really strongly focusing on your audience and you're doing things, offering services, behaving in certain ways that don't fit with you and feel comfortable for you, that's where there's a bit of misalignment. Or your brand no longer reflects what you offer as a business. So your branding is very strongly leaning towards one-on-one coaching, but actually you've moved to a completely different model. So being in tune with when you start to feel that discomfort and looking at where that misalignment might be. And really an aligned brand is when all those things come together comfortably. You as a personal brand, what your audience wants, how your brand is showing up and behaving and how they overlap and that sweet spot in the middle is really that alignment and that way that comfort is going to come from. Yeah, perfect, perfect. For busy business owners, or anyone really, who don't have time to do it themselves, how do you suggest they outsource their creativity? So their socials or their content, etc. Look, outsourcing I think is quite a challenging thing for a lot of business owners particularly when you're coming from a place where you've done everything yourself. So that's the first thing. Letting go and working with an external supplier is is hard, whether that be in a creative terms or any other terms. But it's also an area where I see a lot of frustration come about. Oh, I worked with a web developer, but it didn't go well and I didn't get what I expected. Or I worked with a designer and we sort of, we did our social, they did my socials for a few months, but it just didn't work out in the end. There's often specific reasons for that. It's not about them not being good at what they do. It's not about you or anything potentially that you're doing wrong. But there are some things that you can do to improve creative outsourcing. So I talk about the EPIC framework, which is a framework for thinking about outsourcing. 
And the first thing, the E of Epic, is about expectations. I think really often when you do outsource creative work, there's very little conversation about expectation. Very often there's a, you're the creative, I'll trust you. I'll trust you to come up with the right outcome. Yeah, because you think that they're the expert in the space, probably. Exactly. And they are the expert, or, or you would want to hope that they, they will show themselves to be the expert. But having a conversation about expectations, partly in terms of the expectation of what you want as the outcome, but also the expectation of how you want this process to look and what success is going to look like at the end of it and what the physical deliverables are going to be is really important. So everybody gets what they want at the end of this. And nobody's left going, oh, well, I thought I was going to get X, Y, Z. No, no, that wasn't in the proposal. So expectations are really important. The second thing is process. Scrutinize the process. Have your expectations met in terms of how this is going to work? What are the timelines going to be? What are the milestones going to be? What can you expect from this process? So that's a really important one. I think very often people go into a creative process. So again, they sort of hand over all trust to that creative partner and think, well, they're going to manage me through this. And then it's only three months later, they go, oh, well, we're three months in and I still haven't got my logo. I still haven't got my website because nobody had a conversation about timelines and nobody had a conversation about well, what do I need to bring to this process to keep it on track. Yeah. And I think also when business owners in creativity are starting out, probably they don't have the experience yet because they haven't had very many clients. So there's lots of clients who, or people that I see who are running small businesses and they don't have their processes sorted. But if you go back to them in a year, the processes are really slick. And sometimes it takes that experience, doesn't it? It does. And it takes having the conversation and just thinking about it, not hoping that it will just come together somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. What's I? I is insight. So again, quite often, particularly in a creative process, we just jump straight into creativity. Right, I've briefed someone on my logo, I want a new logo, and then they're going to come back and they're going to show me three options and I'm just going to put it on a well-known Facebook group and get everyone to vote on it and then I'm going to choose my preferred option. Oh, I That's another those. podcast. I hate those. <laughs> Don't ask everyone's opinion. Yeah. So what that's lacking is any kind of insight. So whatever the creative project, whether it's outsourcing your socials, having someone build a website, having someone work on your email marketing, working with someone around a brand project, starting with the strategy. So starting with what's the insight? What are we trying to achieve? Let's set the objectives and the goals. So we've always got that to come back to because then you don't need to do the voting thing what I call the beauty parade, which one of these three do you like? And often it's spot the difference as well. But you don't do that because you always come back to the objective strategy. That's what we wanted to achieve. And this one achieves that best. So insight's really, really important. Always having those goals and objectives to come back to. And then all the C's, the three C's are communication, chemistry and creativity. Oh, yes. Communication, so important. What do you expect? Do you expect a weekly update from this person that you're working with? Is it all going to be communicated through Asana or ClickUp or similar? Is it all going to be on email? How is that communication process going to work? What's their response time? Will they always get back to you in 24 hours? So being really clear on those communication standards is really important. Chemistry is an important one. 
even with referrals, just because that person's referred doesn't mean they're going to be the right fit for you. Having that feel about someone and and being in touch with that intuition, that feels good. I feel like I can spend the next six months working with that person. Yes. Yes. is important. So often we forget to check in with our gut, I think. And I've got this saying when I'm talking to prospective clients about if there's no fit, there's no point. Absolutely. You've got to fit. If you don't fit and there's no chemistry and you're not going to listen to anything I've got to say, don't waste your money. Exactly. And a fit is a really good way of describing it because some people do want to work with someone who's just going to do what they ask and be directed. Whereas some people want to work with a creative that's going to push them that's going to challenge them. So it's making sure that you understand what you need from someone. Do I need someone who's going to keep me accountable and challenge me? Being clear on what those things are and then finding those things. Perfect. So communication, chemistry, and what was the final C? Creativity. I mean, of course you want someone to be good creative. You, you sort of want to tick the box and say yes. I mean, it's a pretty pretty technical baseline, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There is some importance in sort of if you've got a particular style or something that you want to achieve, there's no good going with a creative who's really technical in how they execute their design work, that it all looks very futuristic and very, you know, scientific and techie if you want a really soft illustrative style because they can't do that. So whilst I believe that a lot of creatives are very adaptable and if you've done the insight piece, then... They should be adaptable enough that they can work to what that deliver on what that insight needed. But most creatives will have a style or web developers or anybody, copywriters, they will have a bit of a style. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's down to it's down to you as the client also, I think, to do your homework about who's in the space, who do you want to work with, what are they, what does it look like to work with them? You know, like ask some questions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, thank you. It's been so amazing to hear about your thoughts on brand. Tell me, what are some well-known brands that you admire and why? Brands that I love at the moment, one that I follow avidly is Sage and Claire. So Sage and Claire are an Australian brand. It's all soft furnishings and homewares. And what I love about that brand is that they've got a really clear style that they execute really well and stick with. They've got a beautiful backstory and the personal branding of the owner comes through really well. So there's a passion to that and there's a reason why she's doing what she's doing. So it's that why of the brand is very clear, but it's also very relevant. It's not self-indulgent. It's also very relevant. But also she mingles all of that with this brilliant tone of voice which is a little bit subversive and a little bit cheeky. So there's all this beautiful homewares and there's a certain look. And that could in some ways perhaps become a little bit vanilla and a bit bland on its own, or or there would be lots of other people in her industry doing similar things. But then she's coupled that with this really cheeky, irreverent tone of voice, which she just throws in every couple of posts on Instagram and it's there on the website. And I think I love that and I think it's really clever And it's just challenging the norms in her industry really well. The other one is Apple. I can't not mention Apple as a designer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, what Apple do brilliantly, apart from that, just that complete desire factor, is coming back to that behavior identity, that experience they create. When you get any Apple product, just that ritual of 
you've only got to watch my husband opening a new iPhone to understand this, but that ritual of just opening the box after the box and the beautiful instructions, they have got that experience branding done brilliantly. It's down pat, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Amazing. There's another one, and this is going to be a weird one, and I, I may not even remember the name of it. In fact, this is going to be a really weird one. But there's a lady, and she's on Instagram, and she's a podiatrist. I think she's called The Pod. It's called The Pod. Mm -hmm. And she is, when you come back to that thing about just defaulting to your industry norms and what you would think of (laughs) a podiatrist being like, she challenges that brilliantly. So the way she shows up on Instagram, her tone of voice as a brand, which is quite fun but at the same time she brilliantly brings in all her insight and expertise in her industry but she just does it in such an interesting and funny and engaging way she's brilliant at reels oh i gotta brilliant. go follow her the pod i want to it okay even i go how would a how could a podiatrist do reels well well she is she's, the person she's to watch ah oh, awesome okay we'll we'll watch her thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and you're a font of knowledge. I could talk to you all day and I suspect you could talk about brand all day. I could. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that if anyone's looking for a rebrand or looking to level up, some of the tips that you have given them will just be really amazing. One of the takeaways that I've taken as a business owner is you got to do your homework. Regardless of who you work with, whether or not you work with a coach, whether or not you work with a creative person, a web designer, web developer, graphic designer, it doesn't matter. You still got to do your homework. Absolutely. You, you do. You need to look around. You need to take referrals on board, but also you hit the nail on the head. Listen to your gut. Listen yes. to your intuition. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Beck. It was lovely to have you on the show. Thank you, Emma. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. As you said, I could chat to you all day. It's been <laughs> an absolute pleasure. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.